Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia at 9.30 and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We hope you'll be able to join us, but in the meantime, enjoy this recording of last week's message. My name is Topher. A lot of you know me. If not, I am the Connections Pastor here at Area 10 Church. And uh, for those of you that know me, um, you know that I worked as a manager at a retail store for years. And when you work retail or in any service industry, you see things that just defy social norms. Um, and things just kind of test your devotion to Jesus sometimes. Uh, my first holiday season here in Richmond, I was helping a customer in our living department. And she was looking at a new sofa. She was, by all accounts, a very, very kind uh, young lady. And she just wanted to buy a new sofa because this was going to be the first time that she was hosting Christmas. She had recently graduated college, and, and you might know, you might have been that person when you're in college, you're just trying to find all the furniture that you can, and it's all kind of broken down and gross. And so she was talking about this need and want and desire to, to do this. And then it happened. And it's one of those things that, like in a movie, where suddenly things go into slow motion, and you think to yourself, this isn't actually going to happen, is it? But then it does. She sneezed on my face, like sneezed, sneezed, like the kind where you don't have time to turn away, that wet, slobbery sneeze on my face. And my initial filter that's between our brains and mouths to keep us from, you know, being inappropriate just left. And I remember my reaction first was like this guttural whine that sounded like, ah! and then it was followed by me almost yelling, you sneezed on my face. You sneezed on my face. And I ran off to the bathroom, which is not that far away from our living apartment. I'm scrubbing my face with soap and water and drying it off. And then I'm thinking, that's not going to cut it. So I get hand sanitizer and I'm like, you know, rubbing it. My eyes are stinging. I'm shoving it at my nostrils because I'm like, I can't get sick. And then my filter comes back and I think, oh no, that poor woman is probably so embarrassed right now. It doesn't help any that she sneezed on my face, which is super gross. But the store was packed and I'm yelling, you sneezed on my face, drawing attention. And I think to myself, I, I need to go find this woman if she's still in the store to apologize. And I open the bathroom door and she's standing right there waiting for me, which I'm not going to lie, kind of freaked me out um, because she wanted to apologize. And we talked and we kind of laughed and it became one of those things where I'm like, this is going to make a great story one day. And as she's checking out to buy her sofa, I tossed in a free packet of tissues just for good measure because you just never know. <laughs> when you work in the service industry, you see and experience things that a lot of people just don't. Um, I can think of countless times that I was yelled at or cursed at. Um, I had things thrown at me on numerous occasions. When I was a GM in Nashville, my car got keyed. I was sneezed on. I got blamed for things because why not? I was told what to do all the time. I had to clean up things that should have required a hazmat suit. So help me, I don't understand the disconnect. If you know how to use the bathroom at home, it's not any different when you're at a store. So what's the problem? The things that you end up dealing with and things that you end up encountering when you work in the service industry can be a little jarring. 
When you talk to people that work in the tourism industry or are restaurant workers or they work in retail or janitorial, they will probably tell you that sometimes their jobs can just seem soul-sucking. That, that there's not a lot of reward for the things that you put up with. You get paid pretty low um, for what you do unless you're in upper management. You get yelled at by lots of people. You get up close and personal with seeing how gross and real people's sense of entitlement is. Uh, you get blamed for policies that you have no control over, and yet somehow you're still getting blamed. And when you think about it, people that work in the service industry, when they were kids, they probably didn't say, when I grow up, I want to be a janitor. I want to be a busboy. I want to be a cashier. That's not typically something that people aspire to. And that's not to diminish those jobs or the people that work them. If anything, I think we should like highlight them and elevate them because they do things that no one else does and for little. It's to highlight the fact that sometimes in our jobs, we end up in places that we don't always expect. And sometimes our jobs can be really hard. I've only worked in ministry and the service industry in my life. So those are the two things I know. And I know how challenging they can be. I can't imagine how hard it is for doctors and nurses. Apart from all the gross, you know, bones and blood and organ stuff, the emotional weight that they have to carry as people go from this life to the next. The emotional weight that they have to carry as they're trying to help a family through the unexpected loss of someone the fear that people carry. I know three different contractors, all of them great guys. Do you know what? No one likes contractors. Everything is the contractor's fault. When something goes wrong with your home, it's the contractor's fault. I can't imagine how hard that's got to be. Teachers, God love you. I have no idea how you do it. You're constantly under-resourced. You're tasked with shaping young minds and getting them ready for the future, but you're also teaching them social skills. And then to top it all off, you have to put up with the parents. Stay-at-home parents. I don't know how you do it. For those of you that don't think being a stay-at-home parent is a full-time job, I would challenge you to try that out for three weeks and then come tell me that it's not a full-time job. First responders, therapists, the military, artists, baristas, it doesn't matter what your job is, sometimes you end up in places that you don't expect, and sometimes I think we could all agree that it could be really hard. It could be very frustrating. It could be very challenging because it's exhausting. It's not always what we expect. And sometimes because of that, it enables the worst side of us to come out. At work, one of the things that I think happens often is we begin to rationalize why it's okay to be grumpy and angry. We'll say things like, well, my boss is a jerk, or my coworkers aren't doing their job, or the customer was mean to me. We'll rationalize why we're allowed to be lazy. We'll say things like, well, why am I going to work that hard? That guy's not working that hard, and I'm pretty sure he makes more money than me. We'll rationalize why it's okay to be impatient and passive-aggressive. We'll rationalize why it's okay to be arrogant in thinking that our job is more important, that we're more important, which is essentially saying, I have value and you don't. We'll rationalize why it's okay to be dishonest. They're not really going to miss that pack of paper or that box of pins. Will they even notice that set of earrings missing? Will they notice this $5 being gone? We get caught in this trap of rationalization because we're in work mode. 
And somehow we trick our minds into thinking that work mode is different than real life. And we end up focusing on ourselves a lot to make ourselves feel better or to make sure that we're happy instead of being holy. This series we're in, Set the Edge, is all about holiness, which I know is one of those churchy-sounding words that carries a lot of weight and it's all brings up all kinds of things. But we need to recognize the fact that if we don't set our boundaries, somebody else will. More importantly, if we are unwilling to see the edge that Jesus has already set for us, then we will continue to view our jobs as a chore, as simply something that must be done instead of the opportunity that it really is. I think work is a lot like high school. Hear me out. When you go to high school, you put on your brain in this this capacity that says, okay, how am I going to fit in? This is a new place, new experiences. I'm going to have to go from classroom to classroom. I might have some friends coming up from middle school. I might not. Everything is new. And so we figure out the people that we want to eat with, the ones that we'll talk with, the ones that we'll gossip with, the ones that will allow us to vent or show emotion. Work is not that different. When you start a job, or when you've been at a job for a long time, we're still doing that same thing. In our brains, we're going, okay, how can I fit in? How, who are the people that I'm going to be able to talk to? Who are the people that are safe for me to vent to? Who are the people that I can gossip with? Who are the people that I could show this emotion to? And it becomes really easy to do it. Because when you think about it, work is a different environment than any other environment that we have. When you're at home or with your close friends or with your community or with your family, they know you well enough to help keep up boundaries. They know you well enough to speak into your life in a way that keeps you going in the direction that you're supposed to go. At work, that's not usually the case. It's really easy for us to switch gears and become who people are want us to be because we have become masters at becoming chameleons. Many of us in this room bought into the lie a really long time ago that says if you want to fit in, if you want to be accepted, then you have to act this way. That's the lie that we tell ourselves. And so we find the right camouflage. We find the right words to say. We find the right people to hang out with. We ignore things that we know we probably shouldn't. Because that way it's just easier. It's easier for us to blend seamlessly with whatever crowd that we have chosen or that we are given. And it allows us to fit in. But the reality is, Jesus hasn't called us to fit in. He's called us to stand out. St. Augustine, a 4th century philosopher and Christian said, Let us then think often that our only business in this life is to please God, that perhaps all besides is but folly and vanity. And Oswald Chambers, who authored one of the most read devotional books of all time, wrote, Holiness, holiness, not happiness, is the chief end of man. In 21st century America, with all of the freedoms that we have, we have become slaves to ourselves and to our culture. We have convinced ourselves, especially at work, that it's what everyone else thinks matters. It's what we want at this very moment that's most important. Our happiness is number one and everything else should come secondary. We've learned to fit in nicely 
We've learned to conform to the patterns of the world around us. Two weeks ago, our lead pastor, Chris, kicked off this series and taught on a passage in 1 Peter. And I, wanna, I want us to revisit that in a moment, but first I want to read something from the book of Colossians. A little background of Colossians. The book of Colossians was, is found in the New Testament in the back third, and it's written by a guy named Paul. For those unfamiliar with the name Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament. So that last third of the Bible, he wrote a good portion of that. And Paul was the guy that went from city to city, engaging in civil discourse, trying to love and serve and lead, build up the church, encourage the church, challenge the church to do what it knew it was supposed to do, to follow Jesus in the best way that they could follow. But that wasn't always the case. Paul, who was originally known as Saul, was someone who was known for persecuting Christians, harshly. He intentionally and actively incited violence and persecution and even death upon those that followed Christ because he didn't believe who Christ said he was. And he thought that Christ's followers were all liars. He didn't believe Jesus when he said that he was the Christ, the son of the living God. The hope and the person that the entire nation of Israel had been looking forward to for so long. But then Paul, like many of us, went through his own experience. A lot of us have this kind of experience. For a good portion of our life, a lot of us don't know anything about God or we have anger or hatred towards God or frustration towards God and Jesus. And then through a series of events, God does something in our hearts and does something in our souls and we're around certain people and we see certain things and suddenly our life gets turned upside down and things begin to change. And this happened with Paul. And he ended up believing and beginning to live a life that was dedicated to loving and serving and sharing the truth of who Jesus is. The book of Colossians was written during one of Paul's stints in prison. He had several. And it's a letter written to the church in the city of Colossae to encourage those people, to encourage that church to be reminded of who Jesus is and how to respond to the pressures they face from the surrounding culture. In essence, Paul wants to remind the reader of the hope we have the challenges that exist, and the edge that Jesus has set. In chapter 3, which Chris shared a little bit about last week, um, we see Paul give this kind of back and forth of the way that things used to be versus the way they are now. Life before Christ, life was surrendered to Christ. And the people living in Colossae at that time lived under Roman rule, which means that they lived under an authoritative patriarchy. This means that the male head of household held the power of life and death over everyone in their home, their wives, their children, their servants, everybody. Which means that if you were not the male head of household, you more than likely lived in a constant state of fear and trepidation. Because you knew that if you frustrated someone or angered them or caused any problems, that that could be it for you. And in this back and forth that Paul is doing as he's talking to the the church in Colossae and to us today, he's saying, no, 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 no. That is not God's design. That is not the way it's supposed to be. And he points out that it's Jesus who is the head of the home. It's Jesus who has the authority, and we are responsible to him. How we act, how we lead, how we follow, how we serve, how we work is in response to who Jesus is. And that leads us into Colossians 3, 23 through 25. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Let's unpack that for a second, starting at the end. First, Jesus doesn't play favorites, and we don't believe that. 
And I know we don't believe that because it's hard for us to believe. And I think there's two primary reasons why we don't believe that. The first is that we like to ascribe what we believe to God. So, like, I know that I have my favorite friends. I don't say who they are because that would be awkward. I know that I have my favorite, favorite family members. Again, I don't say who they are because that would be awkward. I have my favorite meals, my favorite movies, my favorite TV shows, my favorite playlists. So it's easy for us to go, well, I have my favorites, so clearly that must mean that Jesus does as well. So that's one way that we do it. Another way that we do it is because the way that our mind works is that if something happens to us or we see something or we experience something that we don't understand, our brain is constantly trying to rationalize why it happened. And until it doesn't, we have a complete sense of unease. So we could see something that we go, that is completely unfair. That's not right. Why would God allow that to happen? And so we have all these gaps and our brain begins to fill in the gaps. And oftentimes where we land is, oh, it's simply because God doesn't care. Or it's because God isn't fair. Or because clearly he plays favorites. And the truth is, is that it's actually a pretty level playing field. Every person in this room is broken and sinful. Every person in this room falls short of the glory of God. You are not better than the person you're sitting next to. You are not better than your worst enemy. The reality is it doesn't matter how messy and broken your life is or how seemingly put together your life is. We are all offered the same grace, hope, and forgiveness. Going back a little more, you are serving the Lord Christ. Let me ask you, if you're a Christian and you knew that Jesus was your actual boss, how different would your output be? If you believe what you say you believe, how different would your attitude be? How much more aware would you be of the words that came out of your mouth? How protective would you be of the things that you allowed yourself or others to be exposed to? You are serving the Lord Christ. That one statement carries so much weight and oftentimes we don't know it, we don't hear it, or we ignore it. How different would our lives be if we recognize that fact and it's not just at work, in your home, at your school, with your family, with your friends, at your church, in your community, in your country, in your world. When you serve, you are serving the Lord Christ. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, all of it as working for the Lord, not for human masters, your boss, your co-workers, your fear of causing waves or ripples or trouble, your paycheck should not be the motivating factor to do your job well. Our motivation to do our job well should be the reality that our jobs, regardless of how frustrating they are sometimes, regardless of how hard they are sometimes, is an opportunity for us to show who Jesus is in a very real and tangible way. Do you know that we will spend over 100,000 hours of our lifetime working? Besides sleep, that is more than anything else we're going to do. 100,000 hours. 
But again, oftentimes in our workplaces, that is the place that we conform to the culture around us. If we are Christ followers, how we treat others and how diligently and faithfully we do our work reflects who Jesus is, which is why we need to understand clearly what we are called to. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to be holy. And I want to be clear, I am not saying holier than thou. Ain't nobody got time for that. We're going to talk about that in a second because I just, I I can't with the holier than thou nonsense. In the letter known as 1 Peter Peter writes to those who are being severely persecuted. It was written during a time of the Roman Empire when there was Emperor Nero. If you know anything about Emperor Nero, the dude was a giant jerk. He was not a good guy. And Peter is making a point to remind these people that this world, the one in which we inhabit, is not our home. That they're simply passing through. He wanted to make sure that they had a clear view of the big picture. 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16, which Chris shared about two weeks ago, but just as he who called you is holy, meaning God and Jesus, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And that last part, be holy because I am holy, Peter is quoting Leviticus eleven forty four. Here's the thing with that little snippet, be holy because I am holy. It is not just found in these two places. When you look at the entire narrative of Scripture, beginning to end, this is something that is peppered throughout Scripture. And that's important, and I want you to know why. When you begin to delve into the Word of God, when you begin to see that it is a living and active thing, you will find that there are certain core tenets, certain foundational things that are woven throughout from beginning to end. Those are the things that we need to understand are foundational truths for us. And this is one of those. Be holy because I am holy. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be holy? I love the way Chris said it last week. Holiness is wholeness. At its most basic, holy means being set apart, being different. It's understanding that we belong to someone, and it comes out of relationship with Jesus. And I want to be sure to make this very, very clear. Because one of the things that happens that we tell ourselves or we hear other people say is that you need to have your life figured out and your behaviors changed before you could be in a relationship with Jesus. And that is not the truth. If that is where you're starting, if your, your, your starting point is I need to make sure that I am correct in my behavior in this way, in this way, in this way, I need to make sure that I am fixed in X, Y, and Z, then you're always going to feel like you're failing and distant from the reality of who Jesus is because it starts with Jesus. Square one is Jesus. You don't have to have it figured out. You don't have to be perfect. The entire Bible is filled with imperfect broken people. It starts with relationship. To be holy means that all we are and all we have belongs to God, not ourselves, and that every aspect of our life is shaped and directed towards God, but it always starts with relationship first. One of my old professors, Mark Moore, recently said it this way, it is not in the practice of your own discipline, it is in the proclamation of God's decision. Because of that, we want to do everything we can in response to honor him with the life that we live. And catch this. Rules without relationship create rebellion. But when you have the relationship, 
It is that relationship that drives the positive changes that honors God and builds the peace and happiness that we so long for in our lives. To put it simply, the closer you become to Jesus, the more your actions will naturally change. The closer your relationship with Jesus, the more clear that edge is set and seen. And there's a little bit of tension here. There's a little bit of a balancing act because on the one hand, we need to understand it's that cultivation, it's that pursuing of the relationship with Jesus, but at the same time, we just don't stand by and continually simply fit in. Again, Jesus doesn't call us to fit in. He calls us to stand out. And I want to unravel that statement a little bit because honestly, let's be blunt, most Christians nowadays stand out for all the wrong reasons. They don't stand out because of their close relationship with Christ. They don't stand out because they lead with love and truth and grace. They stand out for being holier-than-thou, judgmental, angry hypocrites. How many of us have heard or have said ourselves in our own faith journey, I don't have a problem with Jesus. I have a problem with Christians. Fair or not, the overall perception is that Christians will shout from the rooftops everything that they're against and very rarely show what they're actually for. Fair or not, the perception in America is that Christians are more concerned with a political party or a political affiliation than caring about those around them. Fair or not, the perception is Christians are simply an outdated country club that perpetuates and peddles hate. We're not called to fit in. We're called to stand out. But we're called to stand out because of our relationships with Christ. We're called to stand out because of the way we love and love well. We're called to stand out because we are givers of grace in the hands and feet of Jesus, not because we're the loudest bullhorn trying to shame people into belief. We can't ever forget that all have fallen short of the glory of God. We can't ever forget that all of us are sinners. In our pursuit of Jesus, in our cultivation of our relationship with Christ through surrender and reading scripture and being in community and serving with one another, we discover wholeness. We become whole and it changes us and it will continue to change us because holiness isn't behavior modification. It is spiritual transformation. And it is through that transformation and that relationship with Christ that he is most fully seen in us. Hebrews 12 verses 14 through 15 says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause troubles and defile many. In the book of Hebrews, we see the author make the overarching point that Jesus is the embodiment of God's love for us. And towards the end of the book, the author reminds the readers of various people of faith that we see through Scripture who are all wildly imperfect, who are all wildly jacked up in some way, but who cultivated their relationship with Christ and God used them in amazing, faithful ways. The author does this on purpose to serve as a reminder to the reader that all things should flow out from our relationship with Jesus because he is the embodiment of hope, because he is the embodiment of grace because he is the embodiment of truth, because he is the embodiment of love, because he is the embodiment of holiness. And then the author gives practical advice of simply living in a world whose standards are different than what God has in mind. This is the truth about Scripture. It's just as relevant today as it was back then. 
when we think of our work context, when we begin to see the relevance of Scripture and what we are taught and told and what we are convicted by and we look at our work context, I'm betting that if we ask the hard questions and we look deep, we could probably identify quite a few times when we probably should have walked away from a conversation or when we should have stood up for something that wasn't right. Because we have a responsibility. When we read things like, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart is working for the Lord, not for human masters, it makes our responsibility clear. It's not simply to have good work ethic. It's the responsibility that we are a reflection of Christ, and because of that, how we conduct ourselves matters. Statistically speaking, 48% of women and 17% of men have been sexually harassed at work. That means that most of, us, most of us in this room know at least one person that that has happened to, or it has happened to you. That also means that more than likely, most of us in this room have either witnessed it at our own workplaces or know about it in our own workplaces. And my question for you is, what did you do about it? Maybe another question is, what are you doing to change the culture that even allowed it? 60% of employees have reported verbal abuse by coworkers or a superior. How many of us have seen that and done nothing? How many of us have perpetrated that and then did whatever we could to cover our tracks? Over 50% of employees have said that they have heard racially charged and racist jokes told at work. How many of us just stood by and laughed along? 42% of employees have stolen something from their workplace. Over 50% of employees lie when they call out sick. Over 80% of employees report to wasting four to six hours of work time a week on personal errands. All means of dishonesty. And how many of us are guilty of that? The workplace is still the number one location where infidelity begins. 58% of people trust strangers over their coworkers and their boss. Look, if you're a Christian and 58% of the people in your life don't trust you, that's a problem. And nearly 70% of employees are actively disengaged with their work, meaning they do the bare minimum simply to not get fired and collect a paycheck. Look, just because some people think something's funny doesn't mean it's okay. Just because something makes you feel good doesn't mean it's healthy. Just because it entertains you doesn't mean it doesn't affect you. Just because it has a good beat doesn't mean that it's good. Just because everyone else is doing it doesn't make it right. Just because it didn't happen to you doesn't mean it didn't happen. And it doesn't mean that you don't have a responsibility. If you're a Christian, we have a responsibility to a fantastic work ethic. We have a responsibility to take ourselves graciously away from conversations or environments that bring out the worst in us or against what we know to be what's best. We have a responsibility to be kind. We have a responsibility to be honest and forthright. We have a responsibility to be loving and gracious. 
we have a responsibility to stand up, not only for ourselves, but more importantly, for others. How different would our workplaces be? Would our homes be? Would our culture be? If we stop trying to fit in. And instead, we embrace the opportunity that we have to be the reflection of Christ here on earth. Will you have the courage to be different? Because that's really the question. Will you have the courage to be different? Will you have the courage to lean into a relationship with Jesus? Because I think, I think if we allow ourselves to draw close to Jesus, if we allow ourselves to cultivate that relationship with Jesus, we will find that there are some places in our lives where God is asking us to raise our standards. There are places where God is asking us to see the edge that's already been set. Let's pray. Holy God, I am so grateful that it doesn't matter our background, it doesn't matter our struggles, it doesn't matter um, our behaviors, that you are still a loving God. That no matter how broken we are, that we can still come to you. God, I... Thank you for your grace and your forgiveness and your mercy for us as we learn, as we grow into who we're supposed to be. God, I pray this morning that your words and that your spirit move mighty in our hearts and our minds. God, that we would realize that if, if we bear your name, that we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility not just for a good work ethic, but to draw close to you so that we could see clearly what those edges are. And God, I also pray that we will understand that being holy doesn't make us better than other people. It doesn't allow us the opportunity to look down on others. If anything, it should bring us to our knees. It should bring us to our knees in gratitude for your grace and bring us to our knees to simply wash the feet of the people that we're around. It's in your holy name we pray, amen.